Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Shobi Ramakrishnan. Shobi is the Chief Digital and Technology Officer of GSK, a global biopharma company based in the UK that earns in excess of $31 billion in annual revenue. Shobi has been with the company since 2018 and in her current role since 2021. GSK has a philosophy of developing strategy and ideas at the intersection of disciplines. I look forward to hearing how that's done in Shobi's organization. I also look forward to hearing how she has built her team and the skills that she sees on the rise. I know from past conversations, she also has nuanced perspectives on AI generally and generative AI more specifically as well. Shobi Ramakrishnan, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. It's good to be here with you, Peter. Well, Shobi, I, I thought we'd begin with uh, your company. Uh, you are the Chief Digital and Technology Officer of GSK. I think most people would probably have some familiar, familiarity with GSK, but uh, maybe you can f- fill in some, uh, some, some, some additional detail as to the business you're in. Please provide an overview if you would. Yeah, happy to. GSK is a global biopharma company that's headquartered in the UK. And our ambition is to create transformational medicines and vaccines that prevent and treat disease. And our plan is to positively impact the lives of 2.5 billion people by 2030. So we're a really busy company that's focused on human health and, uh, and well-being. Well, what an inspiring uh, mission that is to positively impact the lives of 2.5 billion people by 2030, uh, uh, a, a, a tremendous percentage of the overall population. It must be inspiring to work for an organization that has an ambition to touch so many uh, people across the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our global health mission helps us reach, uh, you know, so many, so many patients in need that otherwise wouldn't be reached, uh, you know, through a normal, normal strategy. So we're very, very excited and very committed to our mission. Very interesting. And you are the Chief Digital and Technology Officer, as I mentioned a moment ago. Talk a bit about what's within your purview, if you would, as uh, for the, the two different sides of your title. Yeah, we've defined the core purpose of our company as uniting science, technology, and talent to get ahead of disease together. So my role on the executive team is to really catalyze, influence, and enable the integration of data and technology into our business, and then work with our amazing talent to make it happen. Um, I have oversight of technology functions that are that include digital data and technology capabilities that's focused on our R&D and our pipeline, our global supply chain, as well as our commercial teams in the market. So these teams are deeply embedded and co-creating value along with our uh, along with our core value chain there. And I also have oversight of enterprise-wide technology platforms and capabilities. And of course, I have responsibility for cybersecurity for the entire enterprise. And as large and complex as your organization is, and as as broad as your mission is, I wonder how you organize uh, the team. Can you talk a bit about the way in which your organization aligns to that of the others and and how you uh, put your team to work as a result? Yeah, there's only so many ways to set up uh, set up uh, tech organizations, and there's uh, nothing complicated or too sophisticated about our setup. We have three verticals, as I said, focused on our uh, research and development uh, focused on supply chain and focused on commercial. And then we have enterprise-wide horizontals that run across enterprise technology platforms that we need. Cybersecurity runs uh, you know, uh, across the board and risk management runs across the board, et cetera. So we have three verticals, multiple horizontals that deliver across the uh, enterprise. And um, I, spend, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about structure. Uh, I'm uh, really a big fan of uh, you know, uh, really 
fluid organizations that come together around a common purpose to create uh, create value. So what I do is make sure that structure, the structure that we have, uh, allows us to set up very clear accountabilities for who's accountable for the success of a certain thing. So we can, one of our core values at the company is accountable for impact. And therefore we know exactly how we can empower someone to go uh, achieve those uh, goals that they set out to achieve in the business. And once I have the clarity of accountabilities, my preference is to really uh, think about how we can get the right people in the role, you know, get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus, as Jim Collins would say. And then I'm much more interested in how can I get these teams to go beyond the constructs of organizational boundaries to come together uh, to really focus on our mission and purpose to deliver things together. And that's much more essential in a modern digital world than it was in a technology world where it lent itself to a bit more of, uh, you know, traditional structures and the slower moving projects. But I think breaking these organizational structures and using them for the purpose that they represent, but really go beyond them to deliver things is something that I think is essential for uh, digital impact and driving impact with data and co-creating products and services for uh, our patients and customers together with our business. Well, I, I find that very interesting. And I, I, I know that the um, intentionality of the collaboration between technology and the rest of the organization also extends to the way in which you think about strategy. You've, you've mentioned to me in past conversations that strategy is really thought about at intersections as opposed to in silos. And I wonder if you could take a moment um, and, and describe that a little bit more, as well as a bit about the substance of that as to how that comes to life as you go through your planning process. Yeah, no, happy to share, happy to share. I think well, strategy to me is about first having a very clear vision and communicating it. And then it's about creating focus for the organization so people can go off and do the right things with that vision, but also that sense of focus on what we want to do and what we don't want to do, right? So if you go to our website, you'll see, and I'm repeating this a little bit for, for your audience here, but you will see that our very first line of our company's purpose is we unite science, technology and talent to get ahead of disease together. And that's an incredible privilege to be, be in that position, to be part of the company's core strategy. And we don't think of, uh, therefore, our digital or technology strategy as a standalone strategy, but we've developed it as what I would call a joint strategy with each of our lines of business to help GSK really thrive in an increasingly digital world. So their business strategies for a digital world is how we thought about and set our strategy. And uh, as I think about it, I've, you know, if I was, um, you know, the CIO at JP Morgan or, uh, or Apple or, or some other company, I'd be thinking about this a bit differently, or even a retail company, I'd be thinking about this a bit differently. But considering I'm in a science-led company that's solving and that has core products uh, anchored in transformational vaccines and medicines that help people, I have really uh, set out, um, you know, our approach as being focused on anchoring our tech strategy and our investment simply following the company's business strategy to create uh, value. And uh, we, we follow the uh, strategy that we've laid out over the next decade or so on how we're going to create value for our uh, stakeholders, but also all our shareholders. And therefore, the tech strategy simply follows and dovetails with this because of this joint strategy approach that I mentioned there. Uh, I think it creates a sense of a solidarity, a sense of um, common purpose, a sense of clarity. And for me, more importantly, I'm just too old to be building technology that nobody uses. So for me, being able to create things that actually people will use and create value from has just really been quite uh, quite powerful. So that's about how we've done strategy. Um, I think of uh, sort of in terms of what it is, uh, I think of our 
uh, strategy as having two really a healthy balance of two components. Uh, one is playing offense uh, with data and technology, and the other is playing defense. So we can uh, we can uh, play to win with data and technology. And uh, the obvious opportunities for us in our industry is the, is that it takes us literally decade uh, you know decades, and it costs us billions of dollars to bring a medicine to market. We saw some small improvements and significant improvements through COVID, but I think uh, even that even then this is a really really tough problem to solve, and we have a ten percent probability of success. That means ninety percent of our ideas have to fail, and that's the norm for the industry. This is not some you know something that you know one company is doing well or not. It's just a normal for our for our industry. So obviously the top priority for all of us in the industry, but specifically for us at GSK as well, is how can we create disproportional impact to a positive impact to R&D productivity through the use of data and technology. So we call it supercharging R&D with data. And that includes the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning and target identification. I, I can talk about that more. Uh, really thinking about how do we use the power of data to transform our clinical trials and accelerate them and be, uh, be the fastest we can be to market, but also focus on the quality of the medicines that are flowing through the pipeline in very thoughtful ways through the use of data. And then, uh, you know, another important part of R&D is, you know, we can produce the clinical supply to complete our clinical trials, but we really need to be able to scale all of this for a commercial supply when the medicines come to life. And that is a massive technology transfer. It's probably one of the most un, you know, unappreciated things about uh, the pharma industry is how much scientific and technology transfer has to happen in that process of moving from clinical supply to commercial supply between our R&D organizations and our supply chain organizations that I think is, is just absolutely fascinating technology-wise, but also just fascinating business-wise. And we are R&D strategies focused on those, um, those elements of target identification, better medicine design, you know, really creating, creating fast clinical trials and then high quality clinical trials and then really uh, enabling this smooth transfer of supply from R&D into commercial when the medicines are, are ready for patients. And um, beyond R&D uh, in supply chain, our teams have committed to a strategy and vision that we call Smart Manufacturing 2030 to really drive a high degree of automation, use of advanced data and analytics and machine learning, as well as computer vision to really deliver measurable improvements. And this team has done a phenomenal job of setting really measurable goals jointly again, uh, around efficiency, around effectiveness, safety, and quality of our medicines and va vaccines, and really hopefully uh, a positive impact on, on cost of goods as well, which I think is really important for us to keep um, keep innovating as a, as a company. On the customer engagement side, we are, we are pretty mature here, but we continue to play to stay in the upper quartile. Uh, we continue to become increasingly sophisticated in the use of advanced data and analytics to enable uh, customer and patient-centric approaches to engaging customers. Uh, we, have, we now have our year four almost of, of many years of uh, this journey. Uh, which is an ongoing journey for us. These are all agile journeys. They're not, in, you know, one, you know, big projects. They're just ongoing uh, agile journeys that we are on. We have seen meaningful evidence that confirms that our customers respond positively and our field performance immediately improves when we adopt these technologies. So we feel like we have pretty good intelligence that uh, what we're doing is working. So we are uh, we are trying to become much more sophisticated in the use of uh, some of these um, particularly data-driven technologies in, in our commercial and field engagement, but also scientific engagement. We have a lot of um, you know medical science liaisons who are calling on doctors, providing them intelligence about their customers and what their customers' needs are from a scientific perspective and from a patient perspective is equally important, which is marketing our medicines.
so we focus on that quite a bit. And um, and of course, like any other company, we we want to really ensure that our people are uh, are productive and take pride in the use of technology. They can find the data they need. They can find the technology that they uh, that brings out the best in them from a personal impact and productivity perspective. So we've committed to have uh, what we call future of work for uh, being reimagined for four personas. Uh, the first one is a factory persona. Everyone in our factories, they interact with technology very differently when they're gowned up and are you know, in a manufacturing floor where you know, there are high risk and high stakes to manage versus you know, in our labs where it's a bit more free, but a lot of instrumentation to get data in and out of. And then when you go to the field where you know, someone's working with their iPad in a 100 degree sun in, in Madrid and the, and the technology has to work for them as well. So we sort of think about field, factory, labs, and then all of us comfortable office workers who, who have the luxury of talking about these things from a very, very comfortable place. But we want to make sure that the technology that we, we are reimagining what's coming for each of these personas. And we have taken an agile approach to every year, we're going to improve one or two or three things. Uh, for example, uh, we are doing passwordless authentication for our manufacturing floor so that they don't have to go ungown and type a hundred uh, characters on a keyboard. Uh, we keep making security harder and harder to navigate. So this becomes even more important versus uh, a passwordless authentication with a band or something like that, that keeps it secure. It makes their lives so much easier. So we try to keep reimagining, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the work for our people, because if our people are productive, then I think the rest of the uh, strategies I described become that much more that much more powerful with R and D, commercial, and supply chain. And for all of this, we have to keep our technology platforms ahead of the game. Uh, so we invest in both our cloud a cloud strategy, which is in full stream now and will be a fairly data center less company for the most part uh, pretty soon here. And we're very comfortable with our approach to other multi cloud. Uh, journey that we are on, so we will double down on it, and particularly with AI, we lean into all the right um, right partners. So we, we feel really good about where we are uh, from a technology platform for the future of the company. And we also, in this context, we think about the data platforms that are needed, not just the infrastructure or the uh, compute platforms. We think about the data platforms that were needed, and we have uh, investments that are in play, but also quite a bit of progress that we made in that area. And last, I like to say that. Uh, you know, uh, in order if you if you want to drive fast cars, my team's heard this a thousand times. And they'll say she'll be saying this over and over again. But if you want to drive fast cars, you need good brakes. So uh, we have a very um, clear strategy around cybersecurity that is about increasing our maturity, increasing our control effectiveness, rationalizing our tools, but using the security tools that we do have really well. Uh, because I think security is moved to a best-in-class for the most part uh, uh, approach with so many so much innovation that's happening and uh, you know, getting ready for all the threats that are coming ahead. So we have a very focused strategy for driving up the performance from a maturity control effectiveness and then actually using the things that we put in place. It's one thing to put your, you know, put your security system in your house. If you don't turn it on when you leave the house, it sort of loses the purpose. So we're trying to make sure we are uh, holding ourselves accountable for that as well. So that's how we bring it all together. I know it's sort of a long answer, but that's how we, we bring it all together, Peter. No, it's a, a great answer. I really appreciate uh, the, how comprehensive you were in describing the plans you've laid and the rationale behind them. Certainly one of the threads through your answer was the sanctity of data and the importance of leveraging it appropriately. You also briefly mentioned artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, needless to say, uh, a couple of frames related to that that are particularly important and, and on the rise in terms of their, their influence. Um, I, I wonder if you could talk a bit about the way in which you see leveraging artificial intelligence to breathe life into the various facets of what you just described from a data perspective. 
Yeah, for us, um, for us, it, uh, it, data, data in particular, um, data in general, and AI in particular, come into play first and foremost in in the science problems, as you can imagine, uh, for the obvious reasons I, I shared with you earlier. So adoption of AI is not a new thing for GSK. We have been investing in it very in a very dedicated way for the past five plus years in earnest, and we have a very mature research-focused AI ML capability in-house. We have some really amazing AI ML talent. I met some of them in, uh, in Israel last week, and I was completely floored by how can one human being know all these things, but just some really amazing talent who are incredible scientists in their own right, but also deep experts in AI and machine learning. So they're able to bring this power of biology and technology together. So I think we have a really good uh, capability. And I think about data in general, there's more data that we generate in a quarter now than we have in our 300 year history. We like to, you know, this was a just a point that's been coming back for us over and over again. So really powerful value proposition that's emerging uh, is that where on one hand, there's just a lot of data to make sense of biology than we ever did before and fast. And on the other hand, the cost of compute, the unit cost of compute has been going down. So we have infrastructure that's available immediately at scale and at pace that we need to process all this information. So this combined power of biology and technology is quite profound uh, in, our, in our view and will shape the way science is done fundamentally over the next, next decades, whether it's GSK or anywhere else. So we wanna be pioneers and leaders in that because that's our differentiation and that's our unique value proposition to our patients and our uh, uh, shareholders. So at GSK, we're now able to use some of this data to build models of who is likely to respond to treatment and increase the probability of success of our assets in our clinical trials using this. And we have a lot of uh, proof points that are emerging in specific assets uh, around this. And beyond R&D, we use machine learning and AI to really build digital twins and supply chain that has delivered uh, you know, measurable improvement in uh, yield performance. Uh, and uh, as well, uh, as I said earlier in our commercial uh, strategy, we now really power much of our customer engagement through machine learning algorithms and are able to use uh, advanced data analytics in general, but really speci specifically machine learning and AI in particular to be much more precise in our customer engagement. So that has uh, that investment has happened, but it will also probably accelerate quite a bit with the, with the shifts in uh, gen generative AI. And we recently just did a paper to our board to lay out what our playing offense strategy is uh, with, with, uh, with uh, generative AI and what pivots we are willing to make as a result of it. So um, uh, what, we, uh, what we've said is that in short term, I think uh, the use of generative AI will lead to productivity and efficiencies across the board. We're starting with obvious use cases like what we call writing buddies for content creation and reading buddies for summarization that you're beginning to see and automation of repetitive tasks, et cetera. And uh, we just launched our first uh, GPT-based digital assistant um, that will be scaling across the company. But I think those are gonna to lead to what I call short-term efficiencies and productivity that will for, take some time for us to release it. Like you can find it, but it's hard to release it. Because if you remember, we went from fax to emails, we just did more emails. So I, I don't know exactly how this is all gonna, all gonna play out. But long-term, I'm really confident that this will lead to innovation and I expect generative AI to be a particularly powerful uh, tool. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it tool as particularly powerful as a strategy as the move to multimodal platforms that can integrate images of disease pathology, genetic information, text information about our patients, tabular content from our clinical trials. And I think we absolutely intend to be early adopters, but also pioneers where we can be in that. 
And that is true of what we do within GSK, but that's also true of how we think about partners that we want to work with, whether it's in academia or startup biotechs, et cetera, who are all ground up coming up as these AI powered drug development uh, companies versus the traditional companies. So we have a we have to pivot, but we want to work with companies that ground up or coming up in, in this new way of doing science, which I think is gonna be uh, undeniable, you can't look away from this, right? So uh, that's sort of how we broadly think about AI and generative AI. And uh, But we also have a strong commitment to do responsible AI. I was with uh, Paul Doherty and, uh, and the Accenture team had hosted a group of CIOs this morning. And this responsible AI thing is obviously echoing because there's serious, uh, serious responsibilities come with, that come with the use of this technology. And back to my off, uh, you know, point about playing offense and defense, like everyone else, we have set up a responsible AI framework to ensure that we are setting a clear tone on the oversight for AI ethics. What's our code of conduct around the use of AI? What does our governance look like for models and what's our policies, et cetera? I think we're pretty good at it, but we need to keep staying ahead because there's just so much innovation on a weekly basis that we, we you know, anything we come up with barely, you know, uh, stays intact for a week without some fundamental change to our thinking. So what we, when, when that happens, my typical approach is, do you have the right people? If you have the right people, we can pivot and do whatever it takes. Uh, but, you know, it's not a set in stone and execute, uh, execute strategy when it comes to our uh, playing defense with AI. And we're also, Peter, a regulated industry. So areas of our business, even if they are language and text intensive, uh, uh, like our quality, you know, quality organization, for example, that oh, monitors, it's all documents and reading documents and reviewing documents and checklists, they're language intensive. So you think, oh, that's really lends itself to the use of AI, but we have to be very thoughtful about adopting it in a way in which it enables us to maintain our control environment and transparency that's needed to maintain the right to operate with our regulators. So that's an additional challenge that regulated industries will face versus you know typical consumer B2C type uh, uh, engagement where you can see the data and use it. We can see the data, sometimes we can't use it, right? So I think we have to be really thoughtful about it. And uh, this doesn't really fall into the, what I would say is the definition of uh, responsible AI. But we also recognize that um, the generative AI is a cost intensive and climate negative uh, you know, technology. It's just enormous amounts of power that goes into, into solving some of these problems, you know, building some of these models and solving some of these problems. So we want to be really disciplined and thoughtful about our adoption and ensure that we're not shooting hands with bazookas. Like we, we really want to be responsible in the use of uh, you know, the uh, generative AI in that sense as well. So I don't know if that, that answers your question, but it's a it's a gamut of things that we are thinking about in AI. Yeah, fascinating. I again appreciate the 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 expansiveness of your thought process related to that. Uh, you've referred a couple of times the uh, the notion that you unite science, tech, and talent to get ahead of disease together. I want to double click on the talent point uh, portion for a moment, and especially in light of so much change. Uh, change that is born internally, change based upon exogenous factors and trends that you are leveraging, uh, the skills that are necessary to keep up with that, um, and, 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 and continuing to modernize the skill sets of the very talented people who are your colleagues uh, must take a lot of planning and thought as well. And I wonder if you could share some, some thoughts as to how you've thought about uh, you know, continuing to upskill the organization to be reflective of the skills necessary for the future that you've defined. Yeah, it's a really, really important, uh, really important piece um, of, I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a strategy or not. It's just a ground, you know, it's it's now 
you know, table stakes for us to be really thinking about what this means for our people. And I think there's two, two pieces. I think one is one is culture and then the other is skills. And I think culture-wise, um, getting the right culture, and, I, and, I, uh, and I've shared this with our teams, uh, we um, essentially the leaders who really embrace technology are usually don't even have technology as one of their core skill sets. The things that they have in their core, people who've created immense value with technology have things like curiosity in their, in their, in their success factors, have agility in their success factors, the ability to take risk in their, in their, in their, uh, in their core, core characteristic. They have uh, systems thinking in their core characters. These are not technology skills. They're just, you know, leadership skills that allow, lend itself to exploit the value of technology in an in an environment. So we uh, we 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 think about this very thoughtfully, but both from a culture perspective and the way and skills perspective. And the uh, culture aspect of it is really uh, we have said the common company culture is being ambitious for patients, accountable for impact, and doing the right thing. So we don't introduce any other elements of culture, like, and I think it lends itself to, if you're really ambitious for patients, you wouldn't not embrace a technology or a data product that really helps you drive medicine identification faster. So we try to really anchor in some common language that we developed across the company so that we can work across organizational boundaries much more effectively in being able to drive this uh, unite science technology and talent, uh, so to speak. So the culture bit, we've got it, Right by being very principled, and Emma's Emma's a real stickler for this. Is don't create multi micro cultures in the company. We all have a common purpose. It should speak to all of us, and should be and then sort of a canvas for all the work that we do together. Because what we're going to achieve together matters more than what we can achieve individually. So that's the culture piece of it. The skills piece of it, I think, is it's not pretty commonplace for most companies to think about making investments in digital learning pathways to improve the digital fluency of the organization within the tech organization itself, and we've done this for about five years, uh, even as I was in my previous role before I came to this role, uh, we have all our personal development programs quite tightly integrated with skills that would be relevant for the future. So software engineering, product management, cybersecurity, cloud adoption, AI, advanced data and analytics. So we've really doubled down on making learning pathways, both democratized ones, but also supporting very cohesive learning around this and targeted learning. So everybody who's going to deploy a product in the cloud will have to mandatorily going through, go through cloud security and cloud training before they can deploy their applications into the cloud. So we do some things by, uh, by requirement, but most things are democratized and made accessible to the tech organization. And we've been on that skills transformation journey for about uh, three, four, close to five years now. And we will continue to continue to do that. But what we have done in the past three years is, uh, is that we've had an initiative that we call Be Digital to offer relevant um, digital and data skills to all our 70,000 employees across GSK. They're curious and really want to adopt uh, more digital capabilities in their work. And we think about that in three buckets. Uh, what skills can we make available to everyone in the company? Uh, so we launched in, uh, you know, very conservatively, we launched uh, what we called a data conference, annual data conference for, we call it data con for in 2020, 2020 or 2021, I can't remember now, I think uh, it was 2021 actually. And we identified 400 data analytics specialists across the company to come join. We did some segments around the importance of data for everyone. Emma and I opened the conference together and we really got people inspired about data and, uh, and analytics together. And every single year, Emma makes time for this to come and open this conference with me. And so we had 400 data and analytics practitioners for the first year. And then we did it in 2022. 
there were 4,000 people, and these are all voluntarily people signing up for different sessions. And so it shows the hunger in the organization to really upskill themselves, be, be you know, do a better job, do the right thing for our patients. So I was just genuinely taken aback when, when we saw that kind of interest. And this year, we do it again every, every year in October. And this October, my team tells me they're expecting 10,000 people out of the 70,000 people to sign up to learn different things. We're going to teach people how to use, uh, you know, prompt, uh, you know, better use prompt engineering for getting the best out of the GPTs that they work with. We're going to, you know, talk about governance and the importance of responsible AI, making sure that if you're, you know, if you're a recruiter somewhere in HR and you're making a decision to use AI for, uh, for uh, candidate selection, that you're really going through the governance and rigor to make sure that there's no bias that's being inherited through the process, et cetera. So we use it for defense, we use it for offense, we use it for little skills, we use it for big skills, and we use it for more importantly, inspiration. Because if you hired great people and you've inspired them and you've given them the right tools, they're more, more likely than not going to do the right thing. So for us, it's really, that's a tool for democratizing learning. And we are uh, who knows? It's right or wrong. I don't know. I, I mean, it's a bet that we made, and it's a bet that's been uh, remarkably well received. But it's hard to correlate value to did our pipeline move by X or Y. But I'd like to think that it's like any other. If, if there were a lot of training and development things you could do, doing something that's targeted for digital is just sounds like a sensible thing to do. The second thing, uh, other than just democratizing and making it accessible to everyone, is really focusing on our leaders, and uh, we have. Uh, we are, and this is uh, something I offer in partnership with our chief people officer, who's also equally passionate about this, is that we are offering a, a digital, uh, leading in a digital world program for all our VPs. In a, they're coming together to talk about how to be better VPs and better leaders in the company, but along with talking about how to care, motivate, develop, and focus your workforce, you also talk about how to lift your own digital skills up. And those things I talked about with curiosity, agility, et cetera, how do you build those things so you can help your teams in a in a digital world? And we'll continue to, and and because Emma's such a good partner for me, and I have um, Diana, who's our HR partner, uh, Chief People Officer, her support. We continue to think of various ways to culturally hack ourselves to be more and more receptive to digital and technology. And it's not about just what my team does or delivers; it's about how GSK broadly responds to it, right? And then we also have a focus on business-specific skills like digital marketing for commercial, which may or may not be relevant for R&D. So those things where we need to provide boot camps or techno, you know, just skills for um, being able to use data much more in you know, uh, integrated ways with, uh, with business processes, we offer more targeted learning. So that's sort of how we cover the gamut of everybody, leaders, and then business-specific learning. Really fascinating. We've we've covered so many trends through through the conversations uh, already. A any ones we've missed that particularly excite you as you look to the future, Shobi? I, I think this thing about AI. I do really believe that um, you know um, it will be it will be transformative, mainly because it's here and everyone's talking about it, and there's so much hype about it. So it's going to be a self fulfilling prophecy because money and talent is flowing towards it to some extent. So, but I do. I think the progress on AI will be compounding rather than uh, linear, uh, I think. So people will tend to overestimate what it can do in the short term and underestimate what it can, what will actually happen in the long term. So I'm very curious about it, but I'm really committed to going on that journey. I personally care a lot about, um, I'm super curious, I would say, I wouldn't say we have figured out how to really use this at scale. Uh, about AR and VR and mixed reality tech and where that's going, I think, uh, particularly with some of the more recent innovations, uh, we're tracking that. 
and I'm also really curious about neurotechnologies and uh, brain technologies and where that's going because there could be digital therapeutics. There are already digital therapeutics that are that are coming into place. So we are very curious about what this means for health uh, in general. But beyond that, I think uh, we have to recognize that we are just one cog and a really important cog, but a really one cog in the big healthcare ecosystem. So what's really exciting for me beyond all this tech talk is around how digital health is being shaped by technology and how the entire healthcare ecosystem is really changing. And we play one very important role, as I said, that patients experience healthcare through a complex ecosystem of care and insurance and product companies like ours. So I'm curious about what AI specifically and tech broadly will shape, uh, how it will shape personalized medicine, what will be the role of technology in providing care in the future, how will this shift the current decision-making power that the payers and the power structure has around healthcare and health outcomes as data not only becomes more available, but becomes more accessible through, uh, through the power of technology and what kind of digital therapeutics will be in play. So all of this has significant implications for our industry, Peter, and as well as health and well-being of people at large. So there'll definitely be some winners and losers, and I think uh, the game's yet to play out. Very interesting, Shobi. I wanted to, to close with a question about you, the secrets to your success. You've been a, a chief uh, of, of uh, prominent organizations multiple times over. Obviously, a tremendous perch you have now as the chief digital and technology officer of GSK. I wonder what have been some of the difference makers along the way on your rise to your current post? Listen, I, uh, I'm not one of those people who set out to be a CXO or anything like that. It's an enormous privilege to be leading um, this agenda and this team that 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 helps the lives of 2.5 billion people. Uh, I mean, each of us have a patient in our lives. Uh, you know, for me, it was my mother who I lost to cancer. So these things become very personal very quickly. So it's an enormous privilege to be having some of these roles. So um, uh, my my uh, I'm I'm just lucky to have been blessed to always be in companies that had to innovate or die. And uh, working with some amazing people who lifted me up. And uh, there's a lot of learning that happens when you're in environments like that and the people who are persevering through those challenges, you learn a lot through osmosis. So I think my, my career success is a, is a, is a product of uh, a lot of serendipity, a lot of other good people helping me, and then some of my own traits, I'm sure. So I would say that the things that have been really difference makers for me are a focus on value and business impact and line of sight to that. So, you know, no matter who I work for, um, you know, having a real deep understanding of the business and the company, but also the customers really has been very uh, crucial for me to think about how to make a real difference and build products and services that are really valuable to customers. And uh, even when I was an engineering manager uh, back in my days at Apple, I used to go out in the field and actually meet a service provider who's ordering parts from Apple. It used to give me a real first-hand understanding of what's easy or what's not easy to work with, uh, work with Apple. And therefore you learn to remove friction and make things easier. And I think uh, that empathy, uh, customer empathy, but also real business empathy has been very valuable to me personally. I think um, uh, I was, just, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that hiring great people and helping them be incredibly successful is not just part of the job, it is the job. So I spend an enormous amount of time thinking about people and culture and what I can do to get that, uh, that equilibrium right for the company. And I'm pretty, I'm a pretty tough, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty easy boss in some ways, but I'm a really tough boss when it comes to hiring really good people. So I try to really uh, keep us uh, on the upper quartile in terms of bringing in great talent and supporting them. 
And um, lastly, uh, uh, not always easy to do, but uh, humility and uh, self-awareness does matter for leaders in the long run and leaders who truly listen and care and are willing to learn and grow will be the ones that I believe will shape the next uh, decade of success. So really honing that skill in, I think is gonna be quite, uh, quite important for all of us. Uh. Uh, in some ways, Peter. That's a really great advice. And, and Shobi, uh, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation, running the gamut across a variety of things uh, that are your your, your strategy for, for the future, the way the organization uh, gets its work done, the philosophy that you, you use to, to uh, create great, talented teams and, and do remarkable work on behalf of the customers of your, your company. It's been a, a tremendous conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure.